So what a tremendous example of the church of Jesus Christ thriving in a hostile culture. Uh, there's a lot we can learn from, uh, from those folks. Uh, today we start in with our uh, new series uh, called Unshakable. And we're going to be looking at the life of the prophet Daniel. And uh, the purpose of this series is to look at how to thrive uh, no matter what they throw at you. Because God doesn't want you to just survive in life. God wants you to thrive. And have you noticed today that the values that create a healthy society have been turned upside down? Uh, Isaiah 520, it's on the screen, it's not on your notes, it's on the screen, it says, you are doomed if you call evil good and call good evil. Destruction is certain when you call darkness light and light darkness. When right <clears throat> is considered wrong and what's wrong is considered right, when you claim what is bitter is now sweet, and what is sweet you now call bitter. A culture is doomed when it rejects God's values, and that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel about 2,600 years ago. Israel had fallen into immorality, injustice, and idolatry. Immorality, injustice, and idolatry. Sound familiar? And the prophets in that day... <clears throat> Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, they warned Israel that God was going to judge them for their immorality, injustice, and idolatry. And sure enough, about 600 BC, uh, the powerful Babylonian empire invaded the land of Israel. And the emperor, Nebuchadnezzar, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And then he took the, the best 25% of the people in the nation of Israel, he took them captive and literally carried them off to uh, the country of Babylon and held them there for 70 years. They lost their freedom because they would not listen to what God said. Look at Psalm 82. It says, God presides over heaven's court and he pronounces judgment on the judges. How long will you judges hand down unjust decisions and show partiality? How long are you going to be prejudiced? Give fair judgments to the poor and to orphans. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the defenseless. Rescue the poor and the helpless and deliver them from heartless evil people. Because the leaders are foolish and they lack understanding, people are living in dark times and all the foundations of society are shaken to the core. You know, we live in... A, the, the, the way we have lived in America for over 240 years is being shaken. Our freedoms of speech are shaken, our freedoms of religion, our freedom of conscience, our marriages and families are shaken, our moral and ethical values are shaken, the foundations of our society are being shaken. But Daniel is not a book about doom and gloom. Daniel is the answer to doom and gloom. Because God says no matter how bad the world gets, God wants you to survive and thrive and succeed. God wants you to be unshakable. Now Daniel's not a famous prophet when the story begins. In fact, Daniel starts off as a prisoner of war at the age of 15. Now, this 15-year-old teenager watches the destruction of his nation. He's taken captive off to the land of Babylon. He'll never see his parents, never see his family, never see his homeland again. He spends the rest of his life in a foreign, hostile culture. And yet he thrives. The book of Daniel teaches you how to thrive no matter what. 
Uh, opening of the book, Daniel 1.1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. God gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over Israel. What? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is not a good guy. He's not Jewish. He's certainly not Christian. He's pagan. And God gives Nebuchadnezzar victory over Jehoiakim. Why? Because God uses pagan leaders to discipline his own children. He used Pharaoh in Egypt, he used Nebuchadnezzar, he used Darius the Mede, he used Cyrus the Persian, he used Alexander from Greece, he used the Caesars from Rome, he used the Islamic Caliphate. God uses ungodly leaders to do his will. And God gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over Israel and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. He's making the statement, my God's better than your God. I, I've got your holy uh, items <clears throat> in my God's temple. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captivities. Daniel was one of them. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. And notice that this culture values the same things that our culture valued. Beauty, brains, and brawn. That's what they're looking for in these guys. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I, I want you to bring me the best-looking, the strongest, the healthiest, the smartest guys. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. They're going to be indoctrinated into the Babylonian culture. Their literature, their language, even their food. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar. Hananiah was renamed Shadrach. Mishael was renamed Meshach. Azariah was renamed Abednego. They are systematically reprogramming these Jewish teens not to be Jewish anymore. They are replacing the godly values of Israel with the pagan values of Babylon. And they've given them new Babylonian names. They've given them new identities. They've given them new lifestyles. You're not Jews anymore. You're now Babylonian. You're a 15-year-old kid. Would you say your world has been shaken? You know, I'm no doubt about it. Yet even though life has been shaken to its foundations, Daniel grew to become one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. He kept his integrity. He kept his faith intact in a hostile culture. It's an amazing, amazing story. Daniel outlasts three empire administrations. He leads two of these emperors to faith in God. Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus trust in God because of Daniel. And he's an amazing young man. Daniel is an amazing old man. You get to the end of the story and he's now 85 and the emperor brings him out of retirement and makes him the second in command in the country because he needs him. 
I mean, this is a huge story. This is an awesome story. It's full of adventure and political intrigue and danger. I mean, this is better than Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. I mean, Hobbit schmobbit. I mean, you know, you know that Star Wars? You know that's not real? <laughs> this is real. This story really happened. And it is an amazing story. And so today, I want to look at the theme for this series. What do you do when your world is shaken up? How can you thrive in a hostile culture? Because we're going to need to know that. We are. So on your notes, number one, don't be surprised by adversity. I mean, the collapse of the nation of Israel shocked everybody, but it surprised no one. Because the prophets had been predicting it all along. I mean, as a teenager, Daniel would have heard Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah warn the nation about the looming judgment. We've got our warning. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, don't be shocked or surprised when you suffer through painful tests and trials as if something strange is happening to you. Okay? Shake-ups are a normal part of life in a broken, fallen, sinful world. You know, don't be surprised by adversity. We shouldn't expect things to be perfect here on earth. In fact, when something bad happens to us, the question is not, why me? The question ought to be, why not me? Because the, Jesus said, in this world you will experience difficulties. But take heart. I have conquered the world. I've told you this so that in trusting me, you will be unshakable and deeply at peace. Don't be surprised by adversity in your life. Instead, be unshakable and be at peace. You know what the typical response is to a crisis? The typical response is to try and figure out who to blame. But when you're trying to fix the blame, you're not able to fix the problem. And so instead of asking whose fault is it, we need to be asking, what do I need to do in response to this? Now, just to clear the air on this issue, I'm going to give you the four sources of problems in your life. Okay? And the first one is you. I am the biggest problem in my life. I, I cause more pain, more aggravation, more heartache for me than anyone else. I mean, you are your biggest problem. The second source of problems in your life is the world. The world culture around you is opposed to God. The world culture around you wants to press you into its mold. And the primary way the world tries to uh, pull you down is through ridicule and through withholding approval and acceptance. It's just the old peer pressure technique. You know, we think that teens struggle with peer pressure. I tell you, everybody struggles with peer pressure. We are desperate for the approval of other people. And so we will lower our standards and we will give up on our convictions because we want the world to like us. And as soon as we do that, the world doesn't like us, the world turns on us. And through that, the world causes problems in your life. The third source of problems is Satan. Every morning when you wake up, the devil has spent the night plotting how to destroy you. And he wants to discourage you, defeat you through depression and doubt and distractions. And he is just on the attack every day. But the fourth source of problems in your life is God. Sometimes 
God uses problems in your life for very good reasons. But here's the deal. Whether it's you, the world, the devil, or God, the source of your problem does not matter. The source is not what's important. Because God is able to use your problems regardless of the source. God is able to use your problems for good. I mean, anybody can bring good out of good, but God is able to bring good out of bad. And so, no matter what the source is, God can use every problem in your life if you will let him. God can turn crucifixions into resurrections. And so, the source isn't the key. Your response to the problem is the key. So, don't waste your time trying to place the blame. Instead, number two, look for ways that God might use it for good. If you want to thrive in a hostile culture, you're going to have problems, but you need to look for ways that God can use those problems for good. You know, one of the great verses in, in, in Rockbrook over the years has been Jeremiah 29.11, but the context of Jeremiah 20.11 is this situation right here. This is what Jeremiah said to those people who got dragged off into captivity in Babylon. He said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil have bad plans for you, plans to destroy you. But God has plans for you too, plans to give you a hope and a future. And the difference in result is not based on the source of the problem. The difference in result is based on your response to the problem. The same problem can bring destruction or it can bring hope. Now, in Daniel's life, God did five things with the problems that he faced, and they're the same five things that God wants to do in your life. So what are they? First, God shakes things up to inspect me. God will bring a problem into my life in order to reveal what is out of whack. It may be a thought, it may be an emotion, it may be an action, it may be a motive, it may be a habit. But God uses problems to inspect us, to show us. God already knows what's inside of you. God uses problems to show us what's inside of us, to show us what we need to work on. Remember in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had sinned, uh, God said, Adam, where are you? And whenever God asks you a question, God already knows the answer. You know, it's not like God didn't know where Adam was. No, God knew exactly where Adam was. He just wanted Adam to admit where he was. And Adam said, God, I was afraid, I felt guilty, and I hid. And we've been afraid and guilty and hiding from God ever since. And when God asks you a question, it's never for his benefit. He's asking you because he wants you to know what's inside of you. Jeremiah 17.10, the Lord searches our hearts and examines our deepest motives. So he can give to each person his right reward according to how he has lived. God searches your motives. God searches your heart. And why did it take the Israelites 40 years to, to walk from Egypt to Israel? I mean, you could walk across the Sinai Peninsula in two months. Why did it take them 40 years? Deuteronomy 8. God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commandments. And when God takes you through a desert, he does it for the very same reason. 
God, God will take you through the wilderness of life and you'll, you'll think, I can't feel God's presence at all. You're in that dry season. Your emotions just dry up. God is taking away your emotion so, to see, are you trusting in him or are you trusting in your emotions? God will take away your feelings. You'll be in that darkness because God wants to determine if you're going to do the right thing just because it's the right thing or are you going to do the right thing because it makes you feel good? And what matters in your spiritual maturity is not how high you can jump at that Christian concert. What matters is how straight you walk when you don't feel God's presence through the rest of the week. So here's the question you need to ask when, when God uses problems to inspect me. What does this problem reveal about me? Not what's the source of the problem. What does it reveal about me? That's a very telling question. Second, God shakes things up to correct me. And that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. They'd fallen deeply into idolatry. And God said, okay, we've got to take care of this. And he allowed them to be hauled off into a foreign country for 70 years. And you know, when they came back after that, Israel never again reverted to idolatry. He broke them of it. Hebrews 12.8 says God corrects all of his children. And if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. Listen, if you can sin, away with, and get, sin and get away with it, if you can sin without feeling guilty about it or without impunity, I mean, we see evil people do that all the time. You know what that just means? They're not getting away with it. They're going to be judged for it someday. But what it means right now is they're not God's child. If you can sin and, and get away with it, you need to examine yourself and find out if you're really God's child. Because God corrects us for our own good. Because he wants us to be holy as he is. It is never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it is always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. Discipline, correction from God, it's for our own good. It's to help us live in peace. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens too. By this he means that he will sift out everything without a solid foundation so that only the unshakable things will be left. God, God is sifting out the temporary man-made stuff in our lives and he's only going to keep the stuff that will last forever. Job says, consider yourself fortunate when God all-powerful chooses to correct you. It's a privilege, it's an honor to be corrected by God because it's a sign that I'm his child and that he loves me. You know, sometimes God has to lay us flat out on our back before we look up to him. You, know, you don't learn the value of money until you've lost it. You don't learn the value of relationships until you've lost them. You don't learn the value of your health until you've lost it. And so you need to ask, what is this problem teaching me? What should I be learning from this? Regardless of who caused it. Sometimes God shakes things up to direct me. Proverbs 16.9, a person may plan his own journey, but the Lord directs his steps. I mean, how does God direct your steps? One way, the, probably the primary way, is through problems. I mean, have you noticed that problems often change your plans? You've made plans to go in one direction. All of a sudden, problems turn you in another way. What's going on? It's God redirecting you. Pain is a powerful motivation to change direction. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. 
Sometimes God has to turn up the heat to get us to change. Prodigal son didn't change till he hit bottom. You know, we rarely think about the direction of our lives when things are going good. You know, when things are going good, we're like the guy who's lost, but he doesn't care because he's making such good time. You know? I mean, things are going good. You're not thinking about your life. You're not thinking about your goals. You're not thinking about God. You're just cruising. And then all of a sudden, bam, you hit a pothole or a speed bump or a detour, and suddenly you start to think about things in your life that you wouldn't have thought about otherwise. David's life fell apart. Psalm 119, he says, I have thought about my life, and I've directed my feet back to your written instructions. Because God will use problems. God will use difficulty and pain to redirect your life. So one of the questions you want to ask is, where is this problem leading me? Where is this problem leading me? Because problems never leave you where they find you. Problems take you somewhere. And so you want to know, what, what's the new direction God has for my life? Sometimes God shakes things up to protect us. One of the purposes of pain is protection. Pain protects you from greater pain. You know, you touch something hot, you pull back, and yes, you've experienced pain, but without that pain, you could have destroyed, your, destroyed yourself. So a problem can prevent you from a bigger problem, keep you from a greater harm. You know, you may want wanted a certain job and it, and it didn't happen, uh, but the truth is God was protecting you. There, maybe there was a relationship there, maybe something was going to happen there, an environment there that was going to mess you up. And so God kept you out of that situation. And not every problem that comes into your life comes in because you've done something wrong. Sometimes problems come because you've chosen to do the right thing. I read this week about a guy who uh, was working at a company and they asked him to do something illegal. And he told him, he said, you know, I'm a Christian, I can't do that. And so they fired him and he lost his pension. And so now he's fired, unemployed, and, and he's, he's lost his money. Two months later, the SEC came in and investigated that company and everybody who worked there went to jail. And he realized, yeah, I lost my job and I lost my money, but I got my freedom. God protected me because I did the right thing. Job 36, 16, God has led you away from danger, giving you freedom. God is protecting you with a problem in your life. So you need to ask, how could this problem protect me? Okay, I got this problem, but what could be worse in my life if I didn't have it? Because there are a lot of things that could be worse. Finally, God shakes things up to perfect me. God uses problems to make me more and more like Jesus Christ. Years ago, Margaret Clarkson wrote a book called Grace Grows Best in Winter. Grace grows best in winter. Yeah, you can grow in the fair weather times, but I tell you, you'll grow far faster and far deeper in the darkest days because grace grows best in winter. And we can have testimony after testimony right here from this church. I grew more through that season of marriage difficulty. I grew more through that season of unemployment. I grew more through that tragedy, through that loss of a loved one, through that, uh, that illness than, than I ever would have grown without it. I want you to write this down on your outline somewhere. Pain is the high cost of growth. Pain is the high cost of growth. If you want to grow spiritually, it's going to come with some pain. 
And, and what you learn, when you understand that, you will become unshakable like Daniel was. Because the things that discourage you are the very things that God uses to develop you. And there's a reward that's coming. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ, will himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. You know what lies ahead for you? A hope and a future. You know what lies ahead for you? Perfection. Firmness. Strength. A solid foundation. But you know when all that stuff comes? After you have suffered a little while. It comes after the problems. Because you're not taking your car, or your cash, or your career, or your clothes, or your china to heaven. You're taking your character. And God's not interested in making your life easy here on earth. The easy part comes later. This is school. This is the refiner's fire. Romans 5.3 tells us we can rejoice. Circle that word rejoice. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it. So when God shakes your life up with a problem, you need to ask yourself, how can I grow? How can I grow from this problem? Because the bottom line is, your problems are not your problems. Your problem is, how are you going to respond to the problem. And if you respond with trust in God and you maintain the integrity of your faith and you do the things that Daniel's going to show us how to do, then you're going to be unshakable. So don't be surprised by adversity. Look for the ways God might use it for good. And number three, trust God for what I don't understand. Because there are going to be problems that are going to come into your life and they are not going to make sense. And that's when I trust God for what I don't understand. Proverbs 20, since the Lord is directing our steps, how does he do that? With problems. Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? In other words, God is God and you're not. And so when a problem comes into your life that you don't understand, trust the Lord with all your heart. It doesn't say intellect, it says heart. Don't depend on your own understanding because you're not going to understand it. Honor the Lord in everything you do and He will give you success. You will thrive, even in a hostile environment. You know, God, 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 God wants you to bear fruit in the midst of these hardships. God wants you to thrive in a culture that's hostile to Christians. You know, like Daniel, God wants you to, to get promoted over and over again and have greater and greater influence and be used by God in an amazing, amazing way. That's what we're going to be looking at in this series. Let's pray together. In this moment, I want, I want you just to consider a problem that you're facing and just ask God these questions in your mind. Just say, Lord, are you using this problem to inspect me? What does it reveal about my life? Is there a weakness, a misplaced priority? Have I compromised the truth? Is there a sin I need to forsake? 
Are you using this problem to correct me? Is there a lesson I need to learn? Are you using this problem to direct me? God, what's the new direction that you want me to be headed? Lord, are you using this problem to protect me? Am I walking into a bigger trap, a bigger problem, a bigger difficulty? God, thank you that you love me enough to protect me. Lord, are you using this problem to perfect me? How can I respond more and more like Jesus Christ? God, I thank you. I thank you that you're God and we're not. And that whatever the problems are in our life, whatever the source, God, you are able to use them for good. So God, today we commit our ways to you. We ask you to lead, guide, provide, care for us. And God, we promise to just faithfully follow so that we can thrive in a hostile culture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.